But Dizzle, dude, Dizzle's top 30, man. He comes in at 26th place, uh, oh, 730 dude, points. So he's okay. only 2,000 2, points behind Rusty. Is Dizzle beating me? Oh, by a long shot. What is Dizzle? What place is Dizzle in? Uh, 26th. <sighs> All right. Yeah. Well, it's not going to be hard for me to beat him by the end of the season. What up, party people? First off, I know, I know, Scott's audio sucked even more than usual last week, and I apologize. There was an issue with his audio file, and I did the best I could without spending a bazillion hours in the editing software, so I hope it's better for y'all this week, because we even did a mic check at the beginning to confirm. Anyways, as promised, we revised the order of today's show to knock out some listener questions early, and we even kick off the show with the introduction of a new North American gravel rankings thanks to the countless hours of time dedicated to such by our loyalist fan, Daniel. And that's pretty much it. We rambled on for a long, long time, and unfortunately, we didn't even get to that many questions. But hey, this is what you get out of the weekly ramblings of the Bonk Bros. So if you have any feedback or questions for the show, hit us up at bonkbrospodcast at gmail.com or drop us a note on the Insta Airways. All right, let's get this party started. Okay, I think we got our audio better this time. We don't have Scott, so that should definitely help things because whatever was going on last week uh, did did not work too too well. Um, but we ended the show last week, and we said that we were going to flip the order in which we talked about things this week. So that means we're going to start with some listener questions. And and actually, maybe we'll just do listener questions for the whole episode, so we can knock we them out. Nonsense. Yeah, we've got a bunch of them still, so we'll see how far we get with those. But um. So before we even get to listener questions, there's actually a pretty exciting new segment that we're going to bring to you guys, presented by our very own superfan, Daniel. Uh, Daniel's been working the backlogs of all the race results to come up with this, like, gravel power rankings. I I don't know if he's calling it gravel power rankings, because I think that already exists. So we got to come up with, like, some other way to, like, put it out there. But he says it's he, he. What he attached here is the mid-spring report for the gravel rankings. So I guess just right now it's just called gravel rankings. If we sponsor this ranking, it should be the Bonk Bros ranking. Dude, genius! That's yeah, why we the Bonk Bros here. gravel rankings. People who yeah. don't listen to this podcast though will be like, "What is this to the podcast?" Exactly. You, then that's how we get them to listen. Okay. Yeah. So, so he says his results are looking at these 14 races, which like half of them I don't even know. Uh, low Gap, Old Man Never heard Winter. Of it. Heard of it. Rock Cobbler. Heard of it. Huffmaster. Never heard of it. BWR Arizona. Obviously. Mid-South. Obviously. Croatan. I'm guessing Croatan. the buck 50. <laughs> Yeah, did that Dylan's one. Dylan's heard of it because he 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 <laughs> took fourth in the sprint, right? <laughs> um, Natchawag. Oh, that's Never in like Alabama or some Georgia or something like that. Yeah, I've heard of it. Okay, I don't know. Uh, Barry Roubaix sixty-two miler yeah. and Barry Roubaix one hundred miler, both of them. Okay, yeah. Uh, BWR California. Yep. Rasputitsa. Yeah, that's uh, in Vermont. Yeah, I think it's okay. yeah, it's Vermont. <clears throat> so that already happened. Yeah. Yes, I think. It must I mean, have. I don't. I don't follow. I don't follow Rasputin close enough. So, but I've okay, heard so of it. 
um, Perry to Ancaster up in Canada, yeah. and Six Sigma. Six Sigma? What is that? Uh, never heard of that. that like uh, project management training? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, we got to we got to see that, like, like the, the new, real life. Isn't, isn't that like too. the new uh, Cannondale that <laughs> yeah. they're going to come out with? <laughs> mm. Yeah, maybe. It's Lab seventy one. In, in order dude, to qualify for 71. that, you ha- okay. Mm. <laughs> So he says, so far this year, the women are somewhat spread out between BWR, Arizona, California, and Mid-South. This was Mm -hmm. the opposite for the men as as there was an incredibly stacked field at BWR, California, almost as stacked as Unbound. Wow. Yeah. So how deep do we want to read these rankings? We'll we'll try to figure out some way to publish the whole thing, but should we just do like top 10? Sure. Let's do it. Okay. All right, so we'll start with the women, and I have zero clue how the algorithm works to create these numbers. So I don't know, like the points well, spread. We can, like so, so we can read these top ten, and then we can give our opinions on whether we think that top ten is accurate or not. You know, mm. like, like if we I think like that it. this top ten represents the top ten gravel racers in the country. Yeah, I like it. Okay, right. so coming in, uh, we'll read from the. We'll just read top down. Number one first. Okay. Um, this one, I'll, I'll let you guess this one. Sophia. Yeah. I think, like, hands yeah, down. Makes sense. Sophia Gomez Vichafanye comes in with the top spot. Uh, her top result was BWR Arizona. She took first, and she has 660 cumulative points. Wow. Um, I think it's interesting that, like, I know this is the gravel power rankings, but the Sea Otter is not included, which I know it's a mountain bike race. Um, but it's well, is like, it a mountain bike race or a gravel race? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, at Sea Otter, it's one and the same because they're the same course. <laughs> right. I mean, um, yeah. Yeah, I, but it, I mean, it is the gravel power ranking. So I understand why uh, Sea Otter wasn't included. Although Sea Otter had like all the major hitters at it. I would say even more so than BWR California. If we're looking yeah, at, if we're def- trying to definitely more than BWR Arizona, if we're trying to find a race this year where all the hitters have been at, um, like all the hitters are gonna be at Unbound, but Unbound hasn't happened yet. Obviously, uh, it would definitely be Sea Otter. Yeah, yeah, I can't argue with that. But anyways, she comes in the top spot at six hundred and sixty points. Number two, we've got Heather Jackson who won BWR California. She's got mm-hmm. six hundred and thirty points. Yeah. Uh, number three, Lauren DiCrescenzo, she won Mid-South, 600 points. Wow. Uh, Anna uh, Yam- Yamauchi, uh, I don't know exactly how to say her last name. I think, uh, is that Chris Blevins' girlfriend? I honestly don't know. I, okay, the name sounds familiar. But she was second at BWR Arizona uh, okay. with 550 points. Uh, fifth spot goes to Flavia Oliveira Parks. She took second at BWR California, 530 points. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carolyn Rezin uh, took second at Mid-South. She comes in at 500 points for sixth place. Uh, number seven, Alexis Scarda, BWR third place. Oh, BWR Arizona third place, 490 points. Uh, number eight, Paige Onweller, uh, she was third at BWR California with 470 points. Mm-hmm. Kate Courtney, wow, she's 
scooting her way in there. Uh, low gap, she won it, 450 points. And then number 10, rounding out top 10, Whitney Allison, BWR, Arizona, fourth place, 420 points. So the spread yeah. right now between first and 10th is 660 points on a 420, so 240 point spread. Um, I don't know what that means, but uh, gotcha. we're going to run with it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that probably makes sense. Like, we have a very small pool of gravel races that have happened already to determine this ranking from, right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, Like, I don't know. I don't think Sophia's raced any other gravel races other than the uh, BWR Arizona, right? I guess so. I don't know. So like, so it must be like weighted. So like BWR Arizona must have had a deeper field than BWR California. I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, I think that worked out. I think that's probably and even more so than Mid South. Yeah, makes sense. Um, I don't know if he's like factoring how much they won by too. Like if there's like a time gap. Lauren DiCrescenzo's performance at Mid South was super impressive. Um, I want to say she was in the top. 20 for men like overall out of everyone who did the race she was top 20 i could be wrong about that but she was like i said you're talking about at mid-south at mid-south well Um, sophia was the same at at bwr i think oh really yeah i want to say like her her overall result was like pretty high wow yeah It'll be, it's going to be super interesting to see Unbound because, um, I mean, I they both of them faced off at Unbound last year, and so, you know, Sophia won. But uh, what will be particularly interesting about it is the fact that the women have their own start, which is really going to change the dynamic of the race because, you know, in a, in a gravel race where it's a mass start like Unbound – I feel like the women's tactic for so long has been get with a fast group of men and then that's, and then hold it to the finish. Whereas now, you know, uh, there's going to have to be some different tactics going on. Um, so yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. It will be interesting. Um, Tyler, you got anything else to add for the the women's side there? I'm not as steeped in the gravel seen as you guys but um i don't know i think that's a pretty comprehensive list compared to of what we have had so far i mean there's no names on there that i didn't that i didn't recognize so um mm-hmm. yeah nice job cool okay sweet let's move on to the men's side uh so this is where like <laughs> this is where i don't understand the points at all um but whatever uh so number one coming in the top spot who do you think chris blevins uh keegan so we have keegan and howie is that what you said chris blevins (laughs) oh blevins i think keegan would make sense although he hasn't done a lot of he did bwr arizona i don't know if he's done any other gravel racing Finsterwald. Yeah. Finsty. Finsty mm. coming in with a top spot. 
Uh, our very yeah, own Rust, he won, Rusty he Finsty. Won, yeah, because he won BWR California. That actually, yeah, that actually re- makes sense. Top result. Yeah, BWR he California. Got a good, he got a good result at BWR Arizona, and then he won BWR California. I mean, I yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, so, so this is where I'd, I don't know exactly how the algorithm works again, um, but the, the top 10 here, I'm just going to say it right now, are the top 10 from BWR California. Like, that must be how stacked that field was and how, like, how, mm-hmm. how much weight there was put on that race. But yes, yeah, so we've got we've got uh Rusty coming in at 2730 for points. Top spot. Uh second is uh Jasper Ocleon. Uh, how do you mm. how how do you say that? Is it Ocleon? I I I don't know. I think it's Ocleon maybe. Ocleon. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Uh Jasper Ocleon, he was second at BWR California, 2460 points. Uh, third place, or not place, Whoa, but why are the rankings. points so much lower? 20, f- I, you, what, or are they so higher? What are, what do you say that's the points were? Yeah, so that's why I said I don't, I don't know how the points work. Um, so like, for, for example, Sophia was top spot mm-hmm. after winning BW Arizona at 660 points. Mm. Uh, Rusty is at. Uh, 2,730 oh, points wow. yeah. for winning BWR California. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so let's see. So third is Alexi Vermeulen, uh, third at BWR California, 2,280. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brennan Johnston, fourth at BWR California, 2,100. Uh, we got Howie Gratz, uh, BWR fifth. I don't even need to say BWR California fifth anymore because it's literally a top ten. Uh, but he comes in at nineteen. Is it exactly 20 points. the same if you take the BWR California results? Yeah, the same as these gravel ranking results. Yes, that's wow. that's how stacked that field was, I guess. Okay. Uh, six is Drew's Alex gonna, House. <laughs> dude. Drew's gonna be happy about that. Drew's gonna be like, "Oh, dude, I'm seven. Is Drew seventeenth <laughs> in this ranking? <laughs> no, he's not. Because there there are some other guys that didn't race." BWR California that must have done well at other races. Like Payson won Mid South, right? Mid South, yeah. Yeah. He comes in at 18th at 1,050 points. Uh, Keegan is down way down there at 12th. Oh at my gosh, dude. Yeah. 12th? But Dizzle, dude, Dizzle's top 30, man. He comes in at 26th place, uh, oh, 730 dude, points. So he's okay. only 2,000 2, points behind ranking. Rusty. Nice job. Yeah, he did. Um, okay, let's see. Oh, dude, DJ, you're on here. 34th place. 490 points. Is Dizzle beating me? Oh, by a long shot. What is Dizzle? What place is Dizzle in? Uh, 26th. <sighs> All right. Yeah. Well, it's not going to be hard for me to beat him by the end of the season because that's the only gravel race he's doing this year. <laughs> he might dude, change Dr- his Drew, Drew was saying that he... He said he might change it up because uh, he should, his man. YouTube video got more views. Yeah, if he like, I mean, I I've said this a lot, but if you're if you're trying to make a living as a professional bike racer by doing U.S. domestic pro racing, you need to be doing gravel. Um, that's where the that's where the money is right now. Yeah, and that's also where apparently, according to Dizzle's YouTube channel is where the views are at as well. <laughs> um, well, I mean, that's how you make money. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> uh, uh, number seven, Pete Stutna. 
1730. Uh, number eight, mm-hmm. Griffin Easter, 1640. Number nine, okay. Rob Britton, 1550. And rounding out top ten, Ian Lopez de San Roman, 1460. Wow. So, yeah, man, that, that I, must have so, been like a super stacked field. Man, it would be so interesting to have oh, yeah. Seattle. Shout out to here. homie Lance Hidet, 1370, coming in at 11th place. Ooh, Kicking beating Keegan out of there. Keegan. Yep. This is this is where it would be so. I know that Sea Otter's technically not a gravel race, but this is where it'd be so interesting to have Sea Otter in the results because Sea Otter was definitely more stacked than BWR uh, California, and you know if that is influencing the results so heavily, I mean, I you can only imagine what the results would be if Sea Otter was included. It'd probably just be the top ten from Sea Otter. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, like Chris Blevins is in fourteenth at twelve hundred and twenty points, and I'm pretty sure. Oh no, he did some of those. He might have done like Rock Cobbler and some of those other ones. I was going to say because yeah. he, how did he get that many points for Gaines second? But um, yeah, he did. Yeah, he must have done some of those other. Didn't ones. he win Rock Cobbler? Probably I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So I, I guess that's that's true. So like. That probably played a role here because I think like Ian Lopez probably did some of those races. Pete Stetna did some of those races. Blevins mm-hmm. did some of those races. Um, so mm-hmm. there might have been a few guys like Lance, I think, did some of those races. So some of their points might be a little bit more inflated than just what they would have gotten wonder, from BWR. I wonder how Daniel is deciding which races to include and not include in the in this standings. I don't know. We might have to get Daniel on the show to break it down at some point. Yeah, actually, we'll we wait should... to see how much hate we get for this uh, this rankings, <laughs> and if and if we need further explanation, then we'll get Daniel on. Well, I mean, I think if Keegan is out of the top, well, it, again, there's not enough races on, like not enough races in 2023 have been done yet to really we gotta we gotta see what the ranking is at the end of the year, right? That's what really matters is yeah. the ranking at the end of the year. But for Keegan to be outside the top 10 and having one BWR Arizona, I mean, I feel like that's a little egregious. I mean, is yeah, I mean, I think. No, I was Go just going to say, like, you can't just do it on, like, your past reputation, right? I mean, this is going to, it's going to develop over, right. the, over the course of the season. Yeah, but dude, he, he won BWR Arizona and he beat Blevins in the process. Yeah, but I think it depends on how you're viewing the rankings. So there's like there's like road results or cyclocross results, which has like mm-hmm. your ranking, which is is used to help like predict what your result may be against the field that's signed up for that race. And then you have something that's like a BWR points rankings or standings, which is like cumulative effect of like how many how you did in the races that add towards that series. I think this is kind of the latter. So it's not necessarily like going to predict the re- next results. It's more so like mm-hmm. how how have you done so far this season in these races that would be yeah. considered part of the gravel calendar. I I will also so I agree that BWR California was more stacked than BWR Arizona, but I don't think it was that much more stacked. Like I think they were both very stacked races. Um I would say the top 20 were pretty similar. But then it was like top 50 was like super, it was super deep, you know, like 10th place okay, to 50th yeah. place could have been anyone. 
But like in, in Arizona, it was like once you got outside the top 20, it like the, the quality dropped off pretty quick. Makes sense. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Uh, okay, cool. Well, that's, that's, that's that segment. Adam, now, are you in the, we'll move. are you in the power rankings? Um, I, I did a quick perusing of it and I don't think so. Cause I didn't do any of those races. Like the only one that I would have, would have done would have been BW Arizona, but I had to drop down to the shorter one cause I hurt my knee. Hmm. What if Daniel had included the, uh, Sea Otter gravel race? Yeah, dude. Why was that not in there? <laughs> I mean, I would have gotten like at least five points out of that one. Yeah, what I the feel heck, like, Daniel? I, I feel like Leave Daniel. Sh- Daniel, I, I would consider including the Lifetime Grand Prix mountain bike races because even though they are technically not gravel races, they're not very. They're not. You know, they're not very technically challenging, and all the top gravel guys are doing them. So, you know, it's like it's another data point to use. I mean, you you could make one the weekend, argument, and we're already criticizing Daniel. <laughs> you could make the argument that both Leadville and Schwamigan are actually gravel races. I think. Mm, I um, I would say Schwamigan is a little bit more mountain bikey, but yes, I would agree that all of them should be included because you're going to get the same fields at all of them, mm-hmm. and they're going to be like the strongest fields of pretty much any race in the in the u.s yeah like i i don't know what huffmaster is but i can guarantee the field at <laughs> sea otter mountain bike and maybe even sea otter gravel well, was stronger yeah. than huffmaster well for sure like i i think daniel's taking that into account i've also never heard of huffmaster watch we're gonna get <laughs> some not people in that context who... at least <laughs> Dude, we're going to get some people who did Huffmaster who are super pissed that we don't know what Huffmaster is. Which is fine. I mean, like, they probably don't know the what the Lus Hills Enduro gravel race is that I just did this past weekend, mm-hmm. which probably yeah. had a stronger field than Huffmaster, but it wasn't included <laughs> on here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Also, so it seems like he's not confining it to just U.S. races because he's in including Perry uh what is it Paris Lancaster and there and Caster and Caster and it's Perry Perry and Caster <laughs> uh yeah I don't know what that means like if he's just going to include North American races okay yeah. or if he's just including that one because some of the US riders went to that one I don't know how how many US riders were there I mean I know Curtis White won the, the Canadian yeah, gravel so match. I should go back and see so. where, where Curtis White fell on that list. Because Curtis White also had a pretty decent showing at well he, he had a, he was doing well at BWR California for a while, but I then I think he dropped off. Okay. He's only got sixty um, minutes. Let's see, Curtis White. Yeah. Dude, I don't even know if he's on here. He's literally won one of the races that uh is on the list maybe he didn't include him because he wasn't canadian <laughs> dude i don't see him on here hmm. all right well 
Yeah. I guess that I, means Curry uh, and Caster was not stacked. That makes no sense. How does he... I don't know. It, it's a, it's, I, I can't, like, control find okay. the way that it's displayed, so I don't know. Like, Curtis White's not on the list at all? Nope. All right. Well, we'll have to uh, we'll have to review again after Unbound. Yeah, I don't know if this is gonna be like a monthly monthly update thing that he's gonna do. Oh, Curtis White, fifty ninth, two hundred and forty points. Dude, so yeah, man. <laughs> if I if I can provide one criticism, so the the gravel power ranking that. Um, what was it? Who was doing the gravel power ranking before? It's like uh, pure gravel, pure, pure gravel. gravel, the pure gravel power ranking. So Adam Roberge was the top rated uh, gravel racer in that power ranking. And Adam Roberge is obviously super strong, but the reason why he was the top rated gravel racer is because he did the most gravel races out of anyone. And that was, that was, kind of my critique of that is that you get you get a huge advantage by just going to all the races right um and so i'm wondering if you get to experience more of the spirit of gravel (laughs) yeah for sure so i'm wondering if there's a way i'm wondering if there's a way of uh maybe getting somebody's average you know what trying to see what their average result is in a gravel race as opposed to their cumulative points because you know just as an example let's say that keegan did you know seven races in the season and adam roberge did 20 adam roberge is going to beat keegan in the points because he did so many more races but if you if both keegan and adam were lining up on the starting line of a race most people would probably have their money on keegan right yeah. So well, the Tyler, power so that, ranking. That's how. So so it's kind of like looking at the difference between like UCI ranking and your cyclocross cross results ranking, right? Like your yeah. UCI ranking is going to be your cumulative points over the mm-hmm. period of two seasons. Your cyclocross results ranking is going to be your average result against whatever field you're racing in over the yeah. last two seasons. So we yeah. have to kind of decide here, like. What would we prefer to have? I would prefer to have the latter. I would prefer to have the the average result because that gives you an idea of how strong this person is as opposed to just how many races they did. Trophy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Um, and And I would say it could probably be like your average best five results or something because everybody's going to have bad races that are going to pull down their average you know yeah i don't know exactly how it would work um but uh yeah i agree and how 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 far back in history do you think you'd want it to go 12 months 18 months 24 months i mean 12 months yeah I, i mean a rolling 12 month average probably makes sense yeah um, so Daniel, I don't know if you, um, I don't know how much work it is to <laughs> reconstruct the algorithm. <laughs> Daniel, but, uh, just redo the whole thing, man. <laughs> so that means get back to us. <laughs> the, 
the official world <laughs> golf rankings does something like that. So that might be something you could look into for like algorithm tips. I, yeah, yeah, I agree. There, there, I, I think it would be a, then you could use it as like a, like a predictor for like how the, the race could shake out. Um, mm-hmm. but it also gives you like, that's just, just, you know, consistent standings. Yeah. I would, yeah, this, I would do that. And I also would consider putting in the lifetime Grand Prix mountain bike races. I get that they're not technically gravel races. So if you leave them out, I won't be too butthurt, but I would consider putting so them you in. Can be above Dizzle. You know that that's going to, that's going <laughs> to hurt your ranking, right? It probably will hurt my ranking, but I, I, I feel like they need to be in there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Should we move on to actual questions? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, well, this first one comes from none other than Superfan Daniel. Um, he says, We're Super just Bonk Bro. Dude, this is just becoming the Daniel podcast. I, I know, but Daniel's like our number one supporter, so we've got to throw right. him some bones. Yeah, whenever uh, Daniel asks us a question, we always address his question first over everyone else. So. Benefits of being a Dude, look at this. He, he typed. Yeah, exactly. So he he um, he addresses us as Super Bonk Bros, dude. That's where I got the name from. Like when I was thinking of Bonk Bros, I was like, I even wanted to call it Super Bonk Bros, but then we shortened it to Bonk Bros. So why? Like, yeah, why would we put the super in there? Super Smash Bros. Oh yeah, no, I didn't. Yeah, I played you Super never... Smash. I've played Super Smash Bros probably five times in my life. I didn't get the reference. Okay. Well, it was anyways. super popular when I was a kid, but I didn't I didn't own Super Smash Bros. You you were too busy re- reading research articles on how to make your bike faster. No, I don't know. I was doing something else. Yeah, right. <laughs> we don't want to know what else you were doing. <laughs> uh, okay, my April question is about the BWR series. Last year the BWR men's series wide angle podium was Pete Stutna number one, Griffin Easter number two, Brennan Wurtz number three. Inokenti Zavialov, never figured out how to say his last name, uh, number four, and then Ian Lopez Dason Roman, uh, number five. Mm. Uh, Robert, Roberge won the series in 2021, but was DQ'd from 2022 because he did not show up to the mandatory uh, race in San Diego. This year for 2023, 22 of the Lifetime Grand Prix men, so 60%, in 28 of the Lifetime Grand Prix, women, 80%, were DQ'd from the series because they also did not show up to the PWR San Diego race. Most notably, Brennan Wirtz, who was up in San Francisco that weekend doing a mountain bike race for the Grasshopper Series, presumably to improve his cross-country skills for Sea Otter. Yeah, I should have done more than that. Um but uh, my question to you, can you touch on the BWR Quadruple Crown Series and how the Lifetime Grand Prix athletes think about participating in it when the Lifetime Grand Prix is the priority? It seems a majority of the Lifetime athletes passed on the series, but to some it is, it is worth fitting in their schedule and perhaps will do some of the Lifetime Grand Prix races with loaded legs since you have two strikes because yeah. you can like drop two races. Um, since only 10 of the 35 athletes are going to be in the money for Lifetime Grand Prix anyways, and we pretty much know which 20 guys are going to be in. 
we pretty much know which 20 guys will be contending for the top 10. Might it make sense for the bottom 15 lifetime athletes to make the BWR series a priority? <laughs> Would it be better for them to focus on the spirit of gravel monuments like Steamboat, Mid-South, Gravel Locos, Rebecca's Private Idaho, etc.? Appreciate your thoughts, Daniel. Uh, yeah, I mean, just straight up, uh, gravel racers care more about or top gravel racers in the U S care more <laughs> about, um, the lifetime grand prix than they do the BWR series. And it's unfortunate because I think the BWR series is really good and they have really interesting races. Uh, I've said this multiple times on this podcast, but what makes the BWR races so interesting is that they always choose a course where, you're gonna you're gonna have the wrong bike for like 70% of the course or 80% of the course. It's they they choose these courses where it's super hard to pick the right bike because they've got road and they've got single track in the same race and you're just like, oh what do I do? You know? Um and I think that's a cool aspect of the races and they all kind of follow that same format as opposed to you know lifetime Grand Prix. You've got everything from you know Schwamigan to Unbound, which are two vastly different races, whereas uh, the BWR races are more or less similar, just in different places in the country. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, for whatever reason, and I don't think the reason is that hard to find out, figure out it's because lifetime put up a ton of money for the grand prix. And because they put up a ton of money, there's a lot of hype around it. Um, racers just generally care more about the grand prix than they do BWR. I wonder if you could, I wonder if this brings up a good point though, because I, you saw this in, or you see this in cross, right? Where you have the world cup, the super prestige, the now DVV trophy, and then you have like a four series, which is like the exact cross. Um, And I think for a while it was pretty clear, like who was going to win probably for the last like 10 years. Like it was pretty clear who was probably going to win the world cup or who was going to win the super prestige series. But there were some of those lesser race, I'll call them lesser races or lesser series, like the exact cross races or the, even like the DVV trophy, like where those second tier, at least on the men's side, the second tier men could go and like race at the front. They could get some victories, you know, and I think that's shown that they can now race at the front on the big, on the big stage, like your Lawrence Swex, your Eliezer beats, like all those guys kind of started out with like, that's where you would see them kind of, you know, they might lose, they might be top 10 in a super prestige race, but they go and race this, you know, smaller race and they win the series or something like that. So I, I do think that mm-hmm. brings an interesting point of, you know, cause the, the quadruple crown does offer a prize purse. It's not as much as the, you know, the lifetime Grand Prix, but I mean, yeah, if you could go and like actually be at the front of the race, um, in the, in the BWR series and when, you know, you get top five, you get a check for that. Plus, you know, if you win the quadruple crown, I think there is probably going to be some, uh, I don't know, parody is the right word with, uh, with two series, not necessarily they're competing, but two series coming up, I would say in the next couple of years, like, you know, yeah, I think there is some merit for the, the guys who are lower down in the, um, in, in the lifetime Grand Prix or perhaps other gravel racers to, um, who are right on that cusp of being in the lifetime Grand Prix to just target something like, like the quadruple crown, um, just, 
just for, yeah. you know, I, I think that series is going to continue to grow as, as you can see by the number of events that they, they have this year. So, yeah. I, so what I, what I would say though, is like, <clears throat> so I don't, I don't know how lifetime picked the, the Grand Prix riders for, for this year. Um, versus how they picked them for last year or how they intend to pick them for next year. But I would say that like just being part of the lifetime grand prix elevates you as far as like your income potential with sponsors and endorsements mm-hmm. and everything. Um, so like forget the prize purse. Cause like, yeah, if you're 35th in the grand prix, like you're not even close to touching any kind of check at the end of the year, which sucks like that you did all that work for like, no payout from the races, but like, hopefully you've got plenty of sponsor support to like get you to the races and and beyond. Um, but just being selected for that, that elite group elevates your, your potential for income. Whereas like just participating in the BWR series doesn't get you anything. You have to get the results in the BWR series. So I think like some of those athletes, the lifetime athletes have to keep in mind, like, are they trying to keep their job as far as like a lifetime athlete for 2024 or are they just out there to try and get results, get some prize purse from like a BWR series or some of these other races and like, which one's going to bring you more, uh, you know, n- you know, notable, um, recognition from, from the sponsors. Cause like, that's really where the money is coming from. Like, even though like lifetime is putting up this like big prize purse, I don't yeah, know, we- you take 10th place, you make five grand. Like that's like, you're losing yeah. a ton of money in that process if you if you you know if you do the equation, so like the the prize money is like kind of ancillary, so it's it really comes down to like where are you getting those sponsor dollars from, and I would say even if you're not even if you're not going to be contending for the top ten or maybe even like top fifteen or top twenty, like it's probably still worthwhile for you to like try and do your best at those races so that you can get into that elite group again for next year. Now, again, I don't know how they're going to select the group. Like if it's like, I think it's kind of interesting that they haven't come out with anything that's like, hey, if you're in the top 10 this year, you're guaranteed a spot next year. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think that if they did something like that, it would, it would be more incentivizing for the athletes to try and do their best in the series. Cause they're like, Hey, there's a guaranteed job for next year. If I can like get top 10 in the series. Um, but they haven't done that. So it's still kind of arbitrary. Um, you know, how yeah, the, they don't make for, an for explicit the athletes, at least. They don't make an explicit rule about that, but if you're top 10 in the series, you're going to get in next year for sure. Like they're not going to exclude you from the series. The I mean, so here's, year, I would say, yeah, I know. It's just like, they should guarantee that though. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I don't like that. They I don't. Yeah. I agree yeah. with the guarantee part. I guess like with the, when it comes to the BWR series, like I think it goes back to what we were talking about a couple of episodes ago about, you know, investing, essentially investing the time and effort in your like future potential earnings. Right. So, say that in two years, the BWR series is on par with the Lifetime Grand Prix. It's maybe, you know, considered a secondary to the Grand Prix, but it's still got big prize purse. It draws some big names. Now you have people that are lifetime athletes versus BWR athletes, et cetera. Um, Like if you can, I mean, if you could get your name on there now, like this year or next year, going with that too, Mm -hmm. I mean, you could... I don't want to say like coast, but I think that could have potential benefits for your earning potential as an athlete in the future. I mean, in the same way that like, yeah. you know, I know I'm sure a couple of people who have won unbound in the years, in years past before it got 
before, we'll say like 2018. I mean, I'm sure those guys, everybody knows who they are because, you know, they won, they won Unbound. Yeah, we won't, we won't name <laughs> names, but people who won Unbound pre-2018 definitely made a great career out of, not, not that that wasn't impressive, but you can't, you can't compare any, honestly, you can't compare one year to the other. Like every year it's, the competition is higher. You can't even compare 2022. You can't even compare 2021 to 2022. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. So, but yeah, but yeah, I mean, Tyler, to your point. So like, if we go back to the top five for the men from the BWR series last year, so Pete Stetna was, was top step. Um, and he's a lifetime athlete, but then second was Griffin Easter. He was not a lifetime athlete last year, but he is this year. Mm-hmm. Same for Brennan Wirtz, who was third, same for Inokenti, who was fourth, same for Ian Lopez, who was fifth. So like second through fifth on that, on that wide angle podium of the BWR series, they snuck their way into the Grand Prix this year. And it's hard to say, like if they didn't do that BWR series and they, you know, like if you extract those results from their resume, like would they have still found their way into the, Go to the power rank this year? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's where the, yeah, that's where the Bonk Bros power so, rankings is really going to play a role for next year. That podium makes a lot of sense to me because four out of the five riders on that podium were not in the Grand Prix. Um, I just said that. And it makes well, it makes said sense it that a non-group... <laughs> <laughs> Mine was more concise. <laughs> No, it makes sense that a non-Grand Prix athlete would focus on BWR, the BWR series, because they're not in the Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and does Pete Stetna winning this series, even though he was a lifetime athlete, does that like d- does that show like the level of like the, the increased level of um, ability at the lifetime Grand Prix level compared to the non-lifetime uh, Grand Prix level, or do you think he's that Ellie Izerbeet of gravel, just like? almost there but when the hitters show up what what what, what, they what call did toppers what did uh what did pete setna finish in the grand prix last year fifth oh i don't know i think he got fifth if i remember I'm just kidding, correctly pete, don't sue us or do don't some, sue me do some click clickety clackety all right so i mean i mean yeah like you know if you get if you get fifth place in one series and you win the other series, I mean, I think it's pretty clear which series is more. Yeah, but no one cares. Like, no yeah. one cares. No one besides probably you know five people that listen to this podcast are gonna like go back and like analyze the results of every BWR race and be like, oh, this field was more stacked than this field. It's like, dude, if you win, if you win any yeah. U.S. gravel race, if you win, you know, Huffmaster, you know, well, maybe people wouldn't know, but if you win, like. Uh, Bear Roubaix, right? Like that's a notable race that people know about, um, as is, as the name mm-hmm. notable, uh, you know, indicates. If you win that race, like people know what's up. People don't like to look at the field and be like, "Well, who else was there?" You know. Yeah. Hmm. Um. I. I can't what was, find the results. What was the original year. question? I feel oh, like yeah, we're Pete getting, was fifth I feel like we're getting away from the, the question like was like from whatever the original Yeah, the question was. was like should should the lower ranked uh riders in the lifetime grand prix still focus on the lifetime grand prix or would it be who of them to focus on other races? Yeah, I mean, so I think that the other thing is that there are some really strong riders 
in the Grand Prix who are probably not going to do super well overall because either they lack gravel skills or they lack mountain bike skills. Like an example of this would probably be, I don't know, like John Borstelman. John Borstelman Mm -hmm. was, was so strong at mid South and he was in the lead at big sugar last year. And his overall placing in the grand Prix does not represent how strong he is at gravel. And then like an example of that on the mountain bike side is probably Howard Grotz, right? Like if you put how, if an in shape, Howard Grotz has the potential to win Leadville and his overall grand Prix ranking does not represent how strong he is at mountain biking. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Borselman was 19th last year, dude, you beat Borselman last year. Crazy man. (laughs) (laughs) So, but I'm just saying that doesn't that doesn't yeah. represent how strong Borstelman is. You know what I right. mean? Right. Um, so, like, would it make sense for Borstelman to go after the BWR series so that he could, you know, at the end of the season, he can be like, "Hey, look, I got on the podium at this. You know, it's not the Grand Prix, but I got on the podium for a gravel, a national level gravel series." Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm just going to put it out there, John, if you're listening, <laughs> like. <laughs> What would make sense for you probably would be to like peak for Big Sugar because then you could potentially win BWR Kansas and Big Sugar in like the same yeah, week. Dude, recency effect. And like those are two races that like he could he could win. He's probably not gonna. I mean, he could maybe win Unbound would be like another one that might be a chance for him. But like otherwise, yeah. I don't know what other races suit I would him. Definitely, super well. yeah, I would definitely try to peak for Unbound if I was him. I mean, I would if you're if you're a good gravel racer, I w- you need to try to pick for Unbound because regardless of how you do in the Grand Prix or regardless of how you do at BWR, like throw your Grand Prix result and your BWR result out the window. If you win Unbound, that is career changing. That single race is career for changing. Sure. Yeah. So, all right. Well. Yes. Uh, So I I think the short answer to this question is for certain riders, I think it does make sense for other certain riders. I don't know. Depends on the rider and their skill set. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So this next question. Okay. So this one comes from Ara. Um, He says, uh, perhaps this is a question you can use on the podcast, but Dylan will be disappointed because it's not a tired question. So on my mountain bike, I have SRAM Eagle with 50 with fifty tooth in the back and 32 tooth front chain ring. What do you think of switching to a 34 tooth front chain ring? I realized today that my gravel bike on a lot of the same mountain bike trails I do has a 38 tooth front ring with only 42 in the back. And yes, I do have to grunt slash muscle up some super steep stuff, but I have the power to do it. So I'm just wondering... Uh, my only concern would be super long climbs. So he's doing Leadville this year. So he says like Columbine, for example, uh, since I would need to spin much more and not grunt slash muscle my way up, climb like that. Um, what do you think of a 34 tooth versus his 32 tooth chain ring? I think it just depends on like what the terrain is, you know, where you're, where you're at. And I would assume for a race like Leadville, With- you're just going to be, there's so much climbing that. I would, I think I, having learned from experience, you probably should just be rocking the 32 at Leadville for sure. But for other riding, like 
don't know how hilly it is. Uh, Leadville's Leadville's difficult, man, because it's got both extremes. It's got flat road sections and it's got steep, you know, off-road climbing, right? It's hard when it has both extremes because then you want a larger range. I will say that with how crazy these cassettes are getting, I feel like 34 tooth for a lot of mountain bike applications is too small. I feel like you can definitely go for most people, right? It depends on how fast mm-hmm. you're going and it depends on what the climbing's like. But um, because obviously the faster you're going, the larger chain ring you can get away with. Uh, so yeah. that's why, you know, Keegan <clears throat> was able to use a 38 tooth at Leadville, which if you've ever ridden Leadville, that should be mind blowing to you. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I put on a 38 tooth before sea otter because, you know, I wanted a larger chain ring for sea otter and I was just riding the 38 tooth around my local trails, which is Pisco, which has a lot of climbing. And I was like, this really isn't that bad. Um, yeah, I, I, I ride a hundred percent of the time with a 38 tooth chain ring at home. And, like, I'll only put a smaller one on if I'm going up to elevation. It yeah. doesn't even matter how much climbing there is. It, it's it's more so the elevation because I know I'm going to have, like, lower power output. Yeah, I think it led – so Leadville last year, I think I used a – I never – if I'm on my race bike, I never go lower than a 34 tooth. That's the absolute lowest I'll possibly go. Um, oh, yeah. I don't even – But I think at yeah. Leadville I used a 36 tooth. Uh, yeah, I think you, I think you did. Cause I think I remember talking with you about it. Yeah, um, it was, yeah, it was, I mean, I didn't have to walk power line, but I felt like I should have walked. It was a struggle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, cause I, I emailed Ara back and kind of gave him a, a quick answer. Um, mm. but I used a 34 at Leadville yeah. and that's, that's like coming in at like 5.3 Watts per kilo at sea level. So like mm-hmm. not unfit. Yeah, um, here's the here's the thing. Your fitness really matters because obvious. It, again, the faster you go, the larger the chain ring that you can get away with. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, and, and I I like I was fine going up power line. <clears throat> like, I think there was like some times where I got down to like 50 RPMs, um, but it didn't feel like I needed a smaller chain ring. It just felt like I needed. Just be stronger. Like I mean, yeah. <laughs> like it, like I, I would have liked to have been able to like spin at like sixty RPMs, but like I don't think a thirty-two tooth chain ring would have really made a difference because then you're going so slow and you're like probably going to lose traction. Yeah. Um, but what I did tell him though, because like he 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 brings the example of like you know he, he rides his gravel bike on his local trails and he feels like he can ride some of those trails on his thirty-eight by forty-two tooth cog. Mm-hmm. Um. <clears throat> So, but I, what I told him was like your the rollout because your gravel bike has such smaller diameter um, tires than your mountain bike, the rollout is much lower on the gravel bike. So the the effective gear between the two is actually probably a lot closer than you think. Um, in a way to so I just pulled up like the bicycle gear calculator. So in a, in a thirty eight tooth, assuming he's got forty. 40 mil tires on his gravel bike, which is about average. Um, in a cadence of, we'll call it 60. So at, at a, at, in a 38 tooth with a 42 tooth cog, that's 4.4 miles an hour 
at 60 RPMs. If we bump that up to, let's just say he's got like a 2.25 tire and his 32 tooth by 50. Oh, wait, hold on. That's not right. 32 by 50. At 60 RPMs, um, that's 3.3 miles an hour. So you're going, I mean, you're, you're still going slower. Um, but the top end, though, which is where it gets really interesting, uh, if we look at 90 RPMs, like assuming you're kind of spinning out, you can hit 25 miles an hour in a 32 by 10. Like, that's kind of a lot. You know, I don't, I don't know how often in a mountain bike race you're going to be sustaining 25 miles an hour or more than 25 miles an hour. Um, yeah, true. But like, but you're really only gaining, like if you, if you do bump up to the 34, you can hit 26.4 miles an hour is like what you, what you're going to top out at. But like, are you really going to use that extra mile and a half an hour? I, I don't know. I think it's, I think you could argue that you're probably not, um, going to need that. But then if we go back over here to the gravel bike, top speed is 25.5 miles an hour. So like really you're only gaining wow. half a mile an hour. Yeah. That's, on the actually, gravel bike. that's actually shockingly close. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I think in, in, in for most people, like most of the time, if you're climbing, we all probably know this, like from experience, if you can climb at 70 RPMs as opposed to 50 RPMs, you're going to climb faster. Even if you're, you know, even if you've got a bigger chain ring, like just because you have a bigger chain ring doesn't mean you're going to climb faster. You still have to turn that gear over. Yeah. I know, like, I know in theory, like if you're putting out the same power, it's the same, but the overall like effect of it, like you're going to be able to sustain 70 RPMs longer than you're going to be able to sustain 50 RPMs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree with that. Um, Especially when you get into like like technical climbing too. Yeah, like I you mean, want to, you want to have that gear range. You know, I just I have a I have a chain ring in every two tooth increment all the way from thirty four tooth to forty two tooth, and so I mean I'll just change the chain ring quite frequently depending on where I'm riding. Mm-hmm. In thirty eights, right in the middle. So like. Yeah. That's why, I mean, you yeah, just I've got a 34, a 36, a 38, a, I've got a 40, I've got a 42. I may yeah, even like, have a 44. Wow. <laughs> yeah, like, like I, I do a lot of training on my, on my mountain bike, and if I have anything less than a 38, it's just, like, pointless to train because I can't, I can't go fast enough. So that's why mm-hmm. I keep the 38 on most of the time. You're just so strong, dude. Yeah, dude, so strong. <laughs> It's pointless to even train on a, anything less. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 do you think? Oh, dude, I dude, when it comes to gear ratios, I have no idea. I just kind of run what's on there. I haven't bothered mm. to try to learn it, but I think uh, <laughs> I, I just throw on like I think I have like a thirty four on my bike. Yeah, dude, I don't know, man. I just like okay. I do whatever the front guys are doing, you know, me and Drew on the same page here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in, in, and I think that's where it is a little misleading because, like, you see guys like Keegan running the 38 tooth at Leadville and you're like, oh, dude, a 34 tooth is so small. But, like, a 34 in a mountain bike is still pretty stout chain ring. Yeah. 
I so if we tackle this question from a drivetrain efficiency standpoint, which is not really what this guy is asking, but if okay, we were you, to do you talk about that, well, I, I I'll be right back. <laughs> All right, so so theoretically, a the larger the chainring, uh, the more efficient the drivetrain should be because the chain doesn't have to bend as much around the you know around the chainring, uh, which is why you see time trial. You, you see these TT guys with 60 tooth chain rings and it's not because they need the 60 11, right? That's such an absurdly tall gear. It's so that they had, you know, it's because the chain ring being larger makes the chain more efficient. And also they don't have to cross chain as much because the chain is more in the center of the cassette as opposed to all the way over to the, the right side of the cassette. Um, so using that logic, you would think, okay, if I've got enough gear range, uh, I should just go with the largest chain ring possible. So I just go with the 38 or whatever, whatever the largest chain ring gives you enough gear range. However, if you have a larger chain ring in the front, you're going to have to cross chain more on the back, right? So you may be able to get away with being only, you know, uh, three cogs from the top, if you've got a 34 tooth, but now you're two cogs from the top with your 36 tooth and you're, you're at the top of your cassette with your, uh, 38 tooth, the cross chaining is probably going to be more significant than the marginal amount of increased efficiency from the chain ring size. I believe it. <laughs> cool. Thank Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know if that was helpful or not, but. <laughs> okay, let's see. Um, okay, hold on. That was from Nina, and it wasn't an actual question. What? She she created like a, a Google Forms, I guess, that people can fill out, and I didn't even know about that. Sorry, Nina, I didn't read your email to just now. I like whenever I see that it's like a question for the Bonk Bros, I just like put it in the listener questions and don't read it so that it's like unread still and I know to get to it when we get to it. Oh, um, yeah. So, yeah, sorry, Nina. So, um, if we haven't read your email or your DM, it's because we're planning to get to it, but you know, yeah. more than likely we never will because we're pretty flooded. How many questions have we gotten through on this supposed QA episode? Two. Like two, three? <laughs> two no three Daniels wasn't well if, if you include the power rankings as one of them then three uh, okay <laughs> all right should we rapid fire some or what yeah so this one comes from spencer <clears throat> sorry spencer this is for like a month ago uh he says hey guys love the pod especially single speed questions in the last episode which was like 40 episodes ago Dude, now. we talked about single <laughs> yeah, speed you're probably now. talking about gear ratio i guess and efficiency yeah for sure uh so he says this year i am planning on riding my single speed for the unbound xl oh why uh (laughs) though one of though on the east on the sunday of easter weekend april 9th so like a month ago i crashed my mountain bike really hard breaking a few ribs have any of you guys broken ribs and how long did it take for you to start feeling good on the bike again i haven't been able to find any insight about broken ribs recovery for cyclists and i'm pretty worried about grinding up hills at low cadence for 24 hours, being 
being too hard on my ribs. Uh, cheers, single mm-hmm. speed Spenny. Yeah, I have broken ribs. Um, and it sucks because pretty much everything you do hurts. Like getting out of bed hurts, laughing hurts, breathing hurts, and there's not a whole lot you can do about it. Yeah, just, yeah. So riding a bike sucks too, uh, for obvious reasons. But I think when I broke my ribs, I was back on the bike pretty soon. I just had to keep it to pretty flat terrain. And for the most part, I had to stay in the saddle. Like I couldn't really stand up and mash. So I just kind of did flat, long endurance rides, not very high intensity. Uh, so hopefully, I mean, hopefully April to June is enough time that you're feeling good by unbound XL, but I don't know. I mean, oh, it, yeah. you know, depends on how Two bad months. it is. Yeah. I would say, I mean, I, I'd be less worried about like how your ribs will feel on race I think day we should and definitely more worried not about the training. Give, yeah. We should definitely not give medical advice on this podcast or else our lawyers are going to be pissed. None of us are doctors. Yeah, that's very true. We should, <laughs> so, we should only so give anecdotal I'm experience. Not, I am not recommending that you do Unbound XL on broken ribs. I, I suggest you talk to your doctor Correct. about that. But what I am saying is that I don't know what I'm saying. I'm saying that I, I have done it before. I, I personally have ridden with broken ribs. It wasn't the end of the world, although it did hurt yeah, if so, I like, hit so a bump I, I think I've broken. I think I've broken like eight ribs before, like total. Um, eight the, ribs total? Yeah. Over how many different crashes was that? Um, well, none of them were cycling related. Oh, wow. One, okay. one was a car accident. Hmm. Yeah, one, one was car accident. One was snowboarding. Um and another one was like playing flag football or something. Wow. Um, you like how I just assume that it was a bike crash? I just assume that any yeah. injury is bike related. I I did dislocate a rib last year, which was bike related. I, I was trying to like put my bike in my car and my dropper post was extended and I went to like go compress the dropper post with my ribs Oof. and it didn't compress, but my ribs <laughs> compressed and dislocated some ribs. <laughs> um, All right. I blame that on on the axis dropper post because it takes a lot of force to compress it. Yeah, dude, you need uh, it. I was Fox I was back I was back riding. I raced two weeks later and I was fine. Okay, but that was just dislocation, so that was a little different. Um, but but what I was going to say is like every time has been different. Like the first time I broke ribs, um, I played a golf tournament a week later, even though like it hurt really bad. Like you, could, I could get through it and it was fine. Um, the second time I broke ribs, though, I was like debilitated for like two weeks like i couldn't even do anything so i think it just yeah. depends on the severity of the break and like where they're at in in like the position of the ribs after the break like if it's like a full break or if it's just like a hairline fracture so anyways long story short go see your doctor we're not doctors i can't even imagine playing golf with broken ribs everything about a golf swing seems like it would just put you in agony yeah it was pretty rough um i didn't suck but I I wasn't also the best either. <clears throat> okay. Um, I think actually carrying my golf bag was the worst part because every time you like go to pick up your bag, it's like on like you, you're it's like an asymmetric loading. So like yeah, 
every time you kind of like just barely crunched your ribs and it was, oh, it was miserable. Yeah. I, I also, also didn't know they were, I didn't know they were broken until the week after that. So I probably would not have played a golf tournament if I had known. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I will say too that when I broke my ribs, I had to ride exclusively road for about a month. Like I couldn't ride gravel or mountain bike at all. Even when I hit like a pothole or something on the road, that was bad news. Yeah, that makes sense. Todd, have you broken yeah, any ribs? Touch wood. Okay. <laughs> all right, then moving on. Um, hi, Bronk Bros. This one comes from Tony. Uh, Hi, Bonk Bros. Big fan. I think it's only appropriate to ask a gravel tire question for my first foray with the Bonk oh, Bros. Boy. What do you think about IRC brand tires? He says, I do not work for IRC. I do <laughs> I'm not asking because <laughs> I'm asking because they have a strong presence as the official tire for BWR and now Unbound. But in the pro field, I don't see a lot of pros using other them. Other than sponsored Pete. riders? Yeah, other than Pete, he says. I feel like the Pathfinder Pros are the real official gravel tires. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you listen to Dylan. Yep. Okay, so... Do, he, he's, hold on, it's not done yet. He says, I personally oh, okay, do yeah. ride IRCs and I like them a lot, but maybe I'm a victim of marketing. My own experience is the tread lasts longer than the sidewalls. Hmm. Hmm. That's weird. Um, having to change them out after some sketchy rock slashes that expose the sidewall fibers. My, my only other... Co- comparables are Vittoria Terreno Dries and Schwalbe G1s, both punctured more frequently on the same trails that I'm riding now. Uh, it says San Diego BWR, basically. Um, his favorite is the 42 Boken Plus, which looks like a Pathfinder Pro with a wider center slick strip. What is annoying yeah. is bicycle rolling resistance only tested one tire, the Boken Double Cross, so there isn't much to go on. I uh, didn't like the double cross. The tread was too chunky on the road. Thanks for taking a look, Rose. Love the podcast, Tony. Sorry, that was a long one. All right. So, look, just because it there, I don't, don't fall for this is the official tire of this race, like marketing trick. You know, um, especially like BWR and stuff, they'll put out like, oh, these are our recommended tires. And like, obviously, their recommended tires are just whatever brand is sponsoring them. So, you know, the recommended tire is the Boken, whatever, for this course or, you know, it's like, that's not the best tire, man, just because they paid money to BWR. Um, (laughs) Yeah, uh, I just I just went on bicycle rolling resistance because that's how I was going to answer this guy's question. He's already been on bicycle rolling resistance. Yeah. The only one they tested was the Boken double cross 42 and it performs really poorly. It's uh one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It's eighth from last place in terms of rolling resistance. And it doesn't even, so a lot of these ones that are really far down on the list, right? Like the refuse, at at least they have really good puncture scores. Um, the Boken doesn't even have a good puncture score either. So it's like the worst of both so worlds. It just, it's like double suck. Yeah. Now, I will say I'm a little bit skeptical of Bicycle Rolling Resistance's puncture score because they, for just so, some of the tires that they say have a good puncture score, like, for example, 
like the challenge Strada Bianchi or the challenge getaway, uh, the puncture score is actually decent on those. And in my experience, those flat really easily. So, um, those are treadless ones, right? They're like slicks. Well, the getaway has tread. Um, and also they, they put the tread, I don't know how they're measuring the tread thickness, but they put the tread thickness for the Pathfinder Pro as the same for the S-Works Pathfinder, which if you just look at those two tires, that's obviously not the case. Like the S-Works Pathfinder, the tread is, is like half the, uh, I'm actually running those tires right now. The S-Works Pathfinder? Mm-hmm. The 42? Yeah. What do, what do you think? I, ha- I have mm. a pair, but I haven't used them. I think I like the standard version better. Yeah. Um, I think the shape, at, when they blow up, I think the shape of the standard one is a little bit better. It's like the, the, the S-Works one is kind of like an egg-shaped. It's kind of like mm. pointy, and I don't like that very much of any tire. I like when yeah. it's rounder. Um, but I, I think the like off-road, like it especially on like trails, um, the regular Pathfinder Pro, like I feel like has just like endless traction. But the S-Works, dude, like the first ride I did on it, I burped that tire because I slid out so hard. (laughs) Yeah, so so my, people have asked me why, you know, I, I, I tell people that my favorite tire is the Pathfinder Pro and they're like, oh, why not the Pathfinder S-Works? And it's because, the the rolling resistance at least according to bicyclerollingresistance.com is almost exactly the same between the two tires like the S-Works is not actually faster in any meaningful way and there's no way that it's the same puncture resistance cuz you can just look at it and tell that that it doesn't have the same puncture resistance like that center tread piece is not as thick so that's why i don't yeah, use I, it yeah i don't Somehow they lose like it. It's like a hundred grams lighter. Yeah, per tire. And, I mean, yeah. There's less like there's less rubber on that center tread and the knobs. It's not. I mean, it's right. Know, so I mean, hundred grams. It's a lot though. Yeah, but weight is like the least important factor in in most gravel races, honestly. Yeah, no, no. I'm just saying, like, it's crazy that they like lost that much weight off yeah. that tire. Yeah, no. I mean, I and, so if I use the S Works Pathfinder for any race, it might be Crusher and the Tusher because that's just a straight up climbing race, and getting your bike as light as it can possibly be is important. Yeah, I mean, I've ridden. I, I think I've. Let's see. I did like. I've probably put three hundred miles on it so far in the last week, and. Hmm. 300 uh, miles in a week? I think so. All right. <laughs> maybe, maybe, or maybe 200. I don't know. It's, yeah, it, whatever. Yeah, it's, right. I mean, I don't know. I, yeah, whatever. Like 300 miles. Okay. But, um, <laughs> All right, big miles guy. Dude, <laughs> I do like two long rides ever. And like, they just happen to be on the S Works Pathfinder Pros. Okay. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I haven't had any issues other than burping the tire that one time, like literally gotcha. within the first 10 minutes of riding it. And it was, I mean, it was, it was just because I like railed the corner way too hard for what that tire is capable of. And it like washed out and I wasn't expecting it. Yeah. Um, otherwise it's been fine, but like it definitely, it feels a lot different though. Like riding it, like it, it feels 
it, it definitely like it. I don't mean lighter as in like it feels like it rolls lighter or something, but like mm-hmm. you can tell that it's like not supported the same as the standard one is. And I like the standard one better. Hmm. I don't know how this relates at all to our question. <laughs> okay, so he's asking about IRC. Okay, so this is what I was going to – yeah, dude, we went way off topic here. We, he's asking about IR, IRC and we just like went through all our thoughts on all the different uh, <laughs> Pathfinder tires. Okay, so first of all, who cares if IRC is the official whatever sponsor of whatever race? Like that's not convincing at all to me in the slightest. Um, what I will say is that the Boken – so the Boken double cross, you know, performs really horribly. And if you look at the general trends on bicycle rolling resistance – Especially if two tires from the same company have the same casing, they're not. The rolling resistance isn't going to be exactly the same, but they're going to be in the same ball, in the same ballpark. So, if the tire that you're talking about, and I don't know if this is the case, but I'm just saying, if the tire that you're tar- talking about has the same casing as the double cross that they tested, it will probably be in the same ballpark as you know the double cross, which performed horribly. So. There you go. I mean, that's that's all I can say about that. I haven't tested it personally, but I would be shocked. Dude, this it would... double cross looks terrible. <laughs> the, what do you, the tread do you... on this is just like uh, it looks like a it looks like a tire that should be on like a hybrid. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it would it would be shocking to me. So what what tire did he say he's using? The Boken something plus. Boken Plus, it would be shocking to me if the Boken Plus was like at the top of the list and the Double Cross was at the bottom. That wouldn't make no sense. Like they're both going to be around the same area. Which Dude, the is Double bad. Cross only has a 60 TPI casing. What does the Plus have? Is it more? Oh, I don't know. I didn't look that one up. Um, I just want to see what the tread was on that Double Cross. The Boken Plus 42. Uh, it doesn't say. How, Whatever. What did it not say? Yeah, it literally doesn't say. All right, so my advice is, yeah, not forget about IRC tires, man. <laughs> if if bicycle rolling resistance tests one and it does super well, I'll it'll pique my interest again. But I, yeah, I'm not even interested in like I'll take trying that one out. One step further and just say, forget what like any sponsored tire 60 or what TPI. the are riding because 99% of the time it's just like what are, who are they sponsored by and so it's just I don't know yeah. you have to yeah like you can look on bicycle rolling resistance especially if you have the ability to pick whatever tires you want like dude that's the best that was I always enjoyed that about like not having an official tire sponsor like for a while yeah, I was on teams or part of programs that did, or like had my own program that did have a tire sponsor. But then the last couple of years of my like official racing career, we didn't have mm-hmm. any, I didn't have any sponsors. And it was awesome because I could just choose the best tread for whatever the conditions were. And that's, that's the best, yeah. it's the best of both worlds. So, yeah. I, Dylan, I Dylan, how many, really... how many tire sponsorships have you turned down? Probably. Well, one, IRC. Three or, f- three or four. 
yeah, I, I don't, I don't need to be sponsored by IRC. That's fine. I mean, I, I turned down tire sponsors from companies that like, I actually like some of their tires. So anyway, I, I, I agree with your point, Tyler, but at the very least, if a sponsored rider is on a tire, like they might be getting results on that tire. If it's just the official tire sponsor of a race, like how, how is that convincing at all? It's not convincing that I should buy that tire. Yeah, for sure. Go with your heart. That's what I'm saying. And with science. <laughs> what what I gen, genuinely what I do is I look at bicycleRollingResistance.com and I don't take that as the end all be all, but I will, I will say like okay, this tire looks fast and then I will actually buy the tire with my own money most of the time. And uh, and then I'll actually test it. And I will say that the results on bicycle rolling resistance.com in the real world on actual gravel usually hold on up. like what your skill level is too. Right. So like I would not recommend cause I was just looking at it and have them on my bike. The, the Pirelli gravel H's like those have no side knobs. So if you can't corner, like if you don't know how to turn or like use, mm-hmm. you know, the basically that tire, or have low skill, like I would not recommend someone ride that. You should, if, if, if they're on the lower end of the, the skill spectrum, like you should have something with side knobs and more grip. What tires the do gravel you have? H's, the gravel hards by Pirelli. They gravel hard. hard. Like they make it hard <laughs> for you to corner. Well, maybe for you, someone like yourself that has no skill, but, uh, <laughs> 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 no, I mean, I'm just saying, Dude, those got those 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 have a lot not, of knobs, man. Not compared to like a challenge. Like if you look at challenges tires, like they're whatever, their getaway or their chicane, like the like the chicane cross tire is the one that I don't know what they branded it, the getaway maybe on maybe I'm not using the right one, but that have like very tall side knobs. Like the gravel H's do not have that tall side knob comparatively. All I'm saying is hmm. To Dylan's point, like, look at the rolling resistance and then also take into account, like, what type of tire do you need for whatever race or, like, what you ride the most and what your skill level is. Do you need more side knobs? I I need more side knobs on, a, on like, a cross tire. So, like, that's why I go with something like the Vittoria mix compared to the Griffo because they have, in my opinion, better side knobs um, for, like, a, a mixed or intermediate tread. Yeah. Hmm. One thing you'll learn from looking at bicycle rolling resistance, rolling resistance.com too, is that just because a tire has more knobs does not mean that it's slower. Like a perfect example of this is the Vittoria zero versus the Vittoria dry. If you just look at the two tires, the Vittoria dry looks like it's got to be slower because it's got more knobs and the Vittoria zero is basically a slick but the Vittoria Zero is thicker, and therefore it, it's actually got more rolling resistance than the dry. Because what's your favorite word? <laughs> what? Rolling resistance? No. I don't, I don't know. Hysteresis. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Dude, there's so many... I've been sent so many memes at this point about, like... <laughs> Just like, you know, a couple in bed doing the doing the sexy time and then like, you know, the guy is like 
talking about hysteresis of tires. Like, I think you guys <laughs> sent me a meme of that, but like, there's there's multiple memes like that float floating around the internet. And every time one of these meme pages makes a meme like that, it gets sent to me. He's probably thinking about other girls. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dylan on bicycle roller <laughs> Yeah, dude. <laughs> For sure. All right, next question. Okay, well, I think I think we should probably just wrap it up here. We, we answered a handful of uh, listener questions. We even started with listener questions. <laughs> yeah. I did an entire hour on <laughs> questions. Hour and Dang. 20, man. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right, cool. Yeah, I need to go ride, so let's wrap it. Okay. See you guys. See ya.